Hello, my name is Andrew Gamison, and it's hard to believe I'm saying this, but it's my privilege to welcome you to the very last podcast episode of 2023. Have no fear. In the Lord's will, we will continue to do what we do throughout 2024, so I hope that you will join us. But today we are reviewing 2023, and I'm really excited to sit down and have this retrospective look back with you. I have to say that one of the exciting things about this year was that going into 2023, I made a goal for the podcast, and that was to have one interview every month. And after January, it felt like there wasn't going to be that because I went through the whole month of January without doing a single interview. And so I was like, how am I going to get this up to one interview a month. And then it seemed like from that point on, I had interview after interview uh, on this podcast. I met some amazing people, told some amazing stories. So I'm just excited to share with you some clips from these episodes of 2023 that had the biggest impact on me. Of course, it was really hard to whittle it down to few enough clips for one episode, so there's definitely other episodes that had an impact on me, and these are shared in sequential order from the beginning of the year to the most recent, so they're not necessarily shared in order of impact, and they all are so important to me. It's always really hard for me to say exactly what my favorite podcast episode is, but I think if you've listened for any length of time, you know how important interviews are to me. I love to tell other people's stories and allow them to tell the stories. And I always feel like the best podcasts are the ones where I'm able to step out of the way and allow a story to be told. So that's why interviews are really important to me. And I'm excited, as I said, to jump into this retrospective. But first, let's talk about our quote of the day. You know, one of the reasons I give a quote of the day is because I want to be able to inspire us and give us something to think about for the week. A lot of times it's a Bible verse. Today it is a quote from a man named William Arthur Ward. I don't know anything about him really. I just really liked this quote when I was looking for a quote to share with you today. And it says, God's strength behind you, his concern for you, his love within you and his arms beneath you are more than sufficient for the job ahead of you. And as we are doing the last podcast episode of 2023, that also means that we are looking ahead to 2024. And we don't know what is ahead for us in 2024. It's a big year on the world stage, uh, in the U.S. stage, with the Olympics happening and the presidential election happening. And so there's a lot of uncertainty, a lot of concern. Um, there's some excitement for sports fans uh, as we approach the new year with the Detroit Lions uh, doing better than they have in a long time and capturing their first uh, NFC North title and possibly making a run in the playoffs. Um, and so I'm excited about that from a sports fan's uh, standpoint. Um, also a little bit nervous 
about the presidential election, but I know that God is in control and I know that he will guide this podcast and guide me personally and guide you personally as you trust him. So I just really thought that this was a good quote to jump off into this retrospective uh, as we go forward. So I'm going to start out with my first interview of the year. This was with my friend Kevin Troop. For those that have been listening to the podcast, you may recall that Kevin and I had the opportunity to share the stage together with Master Arts during the last Christmas season of 2022 when we portrayed characters in A Christmas Carol. He was Mr. Fezziwig, and I was the ghost of Christmas Present, and he became a real important blessing to me and made a tremendous impact in my life when he agreed to be my official dresser for that production. Through the course of that production, I learned a lot about Kevin, not the least of which is that he had two special needs boys that have made him a better person and have made him more sensitive to people with disabilities, and I think that's why we bonded. So this first clip that I want to share with you today is him talking about his book and also how important it is for him to share the story that God has given him and his family. And then, of course, from the blog, you decided to compile it into a book. What was that process like? The book kind of came about as I think I had been blogging at that point for about five years. So uh, um, I was doing like weekly, bi-weekly blogs. So I had quite a few of them. And so uh, I kind of started looking at people said, you know, you always hear this and I'm sure you've heard it. You ought to write a book. You ought to write a book. And so I kind of set the task one year and uh, it was kind of monumental to say, okay, I'm going to write write a blog and this is, or I'm going to uh, put this book together. And, you know, this is coming from someone who uh, failed miserably in English in school. <laughs> I am, I cannot break down a sentence to save my life. You know, what's an adjective verb, you know, but um, it was interesting because as I started putting this uh, book together and what it, what the book is, is a, it's a collection of, uh, of blog posts Um I edited them for length and some some of it in content, you know, to make it so it was more of a chapter instead of just a, a you know, a short blog. Uh, but each one kind of expanded on a point. Um, the blog posts were the ones that I chose that were kind of random. Uh, there's, it wasn't really timeline or anything, but uh, most of them dealt with either um, a triumph, um, a lesson learned, uh, something that made us laugh because <laughs> uh, we can't get through this without laughing at ourselves or <laughs> at what the uh, circumstances are. Um, sometimes it was what <laughs> maybe something that led us to cry um, uh, or sometimes just plain life's really hard right now. Um, each chapter, uh, as I was writing, uh, I included a prayer at the end just to uh, kind of sum everything up. And interesting that the feedback that I get that most people really enjoy the prayer at the end. Um, so that's kind of how the book came about. Um, it's, you know, people say, oh, did you write this for, you know, to make money or to, you know, it, obviously if you uh, – if you ever written a book, you would know that it's not really to make money. Very few people make money on a book. 
Um, it really wasn't for recognition either. I think for me, my wife and I have over the years have always um, had opportunities to share our journey, you know, whether it was with a prayer group or, you know, a Bible study group or somebody having us come in and talk about, you know, our journey. Uh, we have always had opportunities and I call them divine appointments. You know, God has always arranged whether it was in a waiting room, a recovery room, um, or even our own home. Uh, we have, you know, multiple caregivers, suppliers, nurses, therapists, you know, God always, and I stress always has created these divine appointments, um, as we have been willing to share, you know, our core strength, you know, where does our strength come from? You know, you get the question, how do you do it? And so we share that, uh, this book, it was written, I wrote it, um, to be given away freely, uh, think of it as an expanded business card, if you will. You know, it's an opportunity to say, here's what God can do for you. I have just been really blessed to have Kevin in my life, and it was a real privilege to have him on earlier this year and talk about his journey. And I really encourage you to go back and check out the full interview that took place over two episodes, but part one, which contains the clip that I shared today, is episode 539. So if you want to go to the archives of the Speaking For Him podcast uh, by going to speakingforhim.sermon.net or checking out my website at speakingforhim.com, you can find my podcast archive Every single of my podcast episodes from Speaking for Him is there. So episode 539 is where we start. The next clip that I'd like to share with you is from some friends of mine, Les and Carol Carew. Uh, they've been friends of my parents for many years, and my mom has actually been friends with Carol since they were in grade school. Uh, they started out as pen pals when Carol's family the Dannenberg family was on the mission field and then they met each other in person and have been friends for years. And I've just been really blessed by their family. Their daughter, Danielle, has actually become kind of a close friend of mine thanks to her appearing on the podcast previously and being able to text her from time to time and check in. So I've just really been blessed by them and their testimony and their desire to serve the people of Chad. So here's a clip from that interview. What um, drew you back to Chad? Let's put it that way. What drew you back to Chad to come to the mission field yourselves in this country? Well, it was kind of a roundabout story. When we were raising support for the field, our target, the country, the we were raising support for was to go to the Central African Republic. And the Central African Republic has a long history of civil wars and coup d'etats. And, and when in 2013, when we had raised our support and were able to go, uh, the CAR was in another war and we were not able to go to that country. Uh, there were some other missionaries that were still there but Baptist Mid-Missions was afraid they were going to have to pull them out, so they didn't want us to go 
and then, you know, had to pull us out as well. So then we were trying to decide, okay, we have our support. What are we going to do now if we can't go there? And then it was suggested by one of the BMM leaders that uh, we could go to Southern Chad because uh, Central African Republic, uh, they're all Sango speakers, and among others, but mainly Sango. Yeah. And in Southern Chad, there are also many Sango speakers, war refugees uh, from the wars in CAR and others that have settled in Southern Chad. So that was the reason we, we finally went to Chad. Yep. Um, after some time in Chad, we were able to go to the Central African Republic, and we were there for a few months, but it was soon after we got there that we realized with the ministries and all the things we were involved in in Chad uh, uh, that we were not able to do in the Central African Republic because in the CAR we were confined to the capital city. We could not travel outside of the capital city because of of uh, war and skirmishes still going on for security purposes. So at that point we decided to go back to Chad where we could go out and reach these refugees and others in smaller villages and outlying places. If I can add to that, I'm going to back up a little bit, Andrew, and just fill in some blanks for people that might be listening. Um, because my husband and I were just your typical everyday American people. We were serving faithfully in our home church and we were leading a lot of ministries within our home church. And then, um, my husband decided that he'd go on a short-term trip to Jamaica. And so he went to Jamaica for a short-term trip, and he came back, and we started talking about going on a short-term trip to Central African Republic to visit places that I grew up as a child. And um, when we got there, we both had, well, I had a great time. And he had a terrible time, and he told me later on, he said, don't ever talk to me about going back to Africa again. I will never go back, but God has a sense of humor, and if you say never to God, watch out, because he might change that. And so then in, um, that was in 2006, when we went out there for the first time together as a couple. And then we came back to America and by 2008, we had already started application processes with BMM, Baptism and Missions, to go out as full-time missionaries. In this clip, you hear about some of their adventures as they began their journey to becoming Baptism and Mission missionaries. One of the things I love about their story is, number one, Carol was born in Chad and she got a chance to go back to her native land, uh, even though she is born to American parents and then is an American missionary. She got a chance to go back to her native land and share the gospel with the people that she grew up around. And so that's a really exciting thing. Another exciting aspect of this story is how Les, her husband, went with her and had a horrible time and said, I'm never going back to Africa. I would never do that. But then Carol points out 
that God can change that. God is in the business of changing hearts and his will will always be accomplished. So if you want to hear more of their story and hear a little bit more detail about how God worked in Les's life to change his mind from never again to yes, we are going and we are going to serve him faithfully for as many years as God gives us there, then you'll want to check out this podcast. And I'm so thankful to Les and Carol for the opportunity to sit down with them and to share their story. Uh, I had tried on a couple different occasions, I think. I don't know if I actually reached out to them physically, but I knew there were times when I would mention to them on Facebook, hey, I'd love to share your story. And I actually kind of hoped at one point that I would actually be able to connect with them while they were in Africa, but they were actually on furlough earlier this year, so I was able to get that interview done, and I'm so grateful to them for being able to join me for the podcast, and that is podcast number 541. Uh, this is another podcast interview that was split over two episodes, but the first part is episode 541, so you'll want to avail yourself of that powerful story of what God can do when we are willing to do his will above all. This next uh, interview was one that I totally did not anticipate. And it's really a God thing how God brought Jenny Burton and myself together. Um, I was actually watching through Facebook Watch. And there was a guy named Eric Johnson that does uh, human interest stories out of, I believe, Seattle, Washington. And I scrolled to a video about this lady that went from being a harsh drug addict who was totally strung out and had spent many years in jail and prison to someone who had a master's degree and was making a difference for the addicts and other disadvantaged people in her community. And I remember seeing that and saying, I'd really like to watch that story. And so I made a plan to watch the story and I couldn't get the internet to work right that night when I was going to play the video. So I did something I rarely do when I have not had any exposure to someone yet. And I went to her Facebook page and I followed her so that I would have a chance to go back later, find her name and watch the video. Well, a half an hour after I followed her, she sent me a message and said, I have this initiative going in Nashville, Tennessee. Would you be willing to come to Nashville, all expenses paid, and be a part of this focus group to talk about issues relating to people in disadvantages and how best to help them? Because it's her contention as well as mine that most uh, public services and programs do more to hinder than to help. And so I had a great opportunity to go meet her in Nashville and spend time with like-minded people and discuss these things. But I really feel like this friendship that I have with her, and she has become a tremendous blessing in my life, is a God thing. Because when she first reached out to me, I thought that someone was spamming me. I thought there's no way that someone that I just connected with on social media uh who I saw a news story about would can contact me personally immediately afterward and be the actual person. But I talked to her on the phone 
a few days later and she was the genuine article. And a few weeks after that, I had the opportunity to sit down with her and interview her on the podcast. And so here is a little clip from our interview. When I finally was arrested this last time in 2012, at the age of 40, I, it didn't matter to me, uh, what had to happen. I was willing to do whatever it took to stop destroying my life. And so, you know, and, and just to give a little bit of context. So between the ages of seven and 40, I'd been in multiple abusive relationships. I had been an abuser, um, 28 years of drug use, violence, guns, um, multiple sexual assaults. Um, I've shot people, people have shot me. I've stabbed people, people have stabbed me. I've been beaten, kidnapped. Um, I've done similar things to other people. And, you know, so there was like this, just this really long, long, uh, duration of insanity. Um, and in the process, you know, I abandoned my children and they were being raised by the state. So all of the things that I had planned on doing in life, I had abandoned all of those things. And I, and I couldn't stand the woman that was standing in the mirror, looking back at me at the age of 40, when I was looking at my fourth prison sentence. And so, um, you know, I was willing to do whatever it took because I was pretty mad. God, you know, through the shooting and ending up in the uh, intensive care uh, at Madigan Hospital in, in Washington, um, which was a trauma unit, um, you know, through multiple uh, overdoses and different things like that. Um, and living through it, I realized that maybe there was something else that was supposed to be going on with me. But I knew that I could not exist in that space uh, in the state that I was in, in the mental state that I was in, it was like living in purgatory. And so, you know, I went, I embarked upon this journey. It didn't matter whether it happened in prison or whether wherever it happened, I didn't care. I just wasn't willing to continue to live in that way. And so over the last 10 years, um, you know, I've stuck with that surrender and, and I started to recognize that the idea of surrender was just moving over to the winning team, right? I wasn't, uh, abandoning anything. I was abandoning my self-destruction. And, and so I, you know, I started out with this really simple process, which was first thought wrong. So if I, you know, had an automatic response to something, I wanted to reconsider that. And, and how I changed my behavior was I, I just did the opposite of what I would normally do. And so I started to practice that very simple process, um, you know, and so I was waiting in jail uh, to go back to prison. Um, you know, I was fighting some cases. I had five more felony charges and um, I, uh, you know, I got down on my knees and I started to talk to God and, um, you know, I had a really profound experience with a number of things. I asked God, how do you, how do I stay clean? And, you know, through meditation, it was, it was given to me that I don't put drugs in my body. That's how I don't get loaded. I just, and it was like unbelievable to me that it was such a simple process. And so, you know, but there have been some other things that, that have helped me really sort of stay on track, you know? And so I align myself with other people that are moving in the same direction. I have a host of friends and support um, who are former drug addicts that are now living clean. Um, you know, I also participate in other environments with people that are moving in a different direction, you know, that sort of have elevated their own lives, you know, through accomplishment and um, hard work and education. If you go to the Speaking for Him 
archives, you can find the Jenny Burton interview. It is episode 546, and it is titled Jenny Burton, A Life Transformed. And I really think that you'll be encouraged by this full interview. Again, it is a two-part episode, but I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, she goes into further detail about how her faith in God began and how God has sustained her through life. Uh, even through some of the really rough patches of her life, she knew that God was there. And so I really was privileged to share that story with everyone on the show. And I really hope that you enjoy listening to the full episode if you have not yet already. Or if you have listened to some of these episodes and you really think that this reminder makes you think of someone that could use the encouragement of this podcast, please feel free to let them know. That's how people find us. That's how people get to know more and more about Speaking for Him and all that as a ministry we are trying to accomplish. And I say we because I could not do this podcast or this ministry without the help and support of others. You know, my parents started me off on this journey of ministry and then there have been so many people that have stepped up to help me. You know that I've had three co-hosts in the past, and I have people pop on from time to time to help me co-host, and I'm just so thankful for everyone who is involved. I definitely would like to have more co-hosts in 2024, so if co-hosting a podcast is something that you'd be interested in checking out, please do not hesitate to contact me and let me know that so that we can get in touch and start putting things together. Incidentally, I will just let you know at this juncture too that I am praying about my next Bible study series on the show. I recently finished one about the deity of Christ and what it really means to follow Christ, and so I hope that you will enjoy that, but that you'll pray about the next Bible study series topic that is taken up. All right, well, we are continuing on on this journey, this look back at 2023 with a clip from an interview that was extremely exciting for me. It's been amazing to me this year how God has brought interviews and ideas for the podcast from unlikely places, and Facebook Watch is one of those places. You know, I basically connected to Ginny through Facebook Watch, and I also connected with our next guest, and that is Logan Smith. Logan is a Southern Gospel singer, um, and he is 26 years old. He actually started singing Southern Gospel music at 10 years old, and by that I mean he recorded his first album, and then he started singing with the Gaithers at 13 years old, um, and then he, when he was 21 years old, he went to Nashville to sing with a group. And then a few years after that, he decided to go solo. But he is still singing today uh, as a 26-year-old. And it's just a privilege to know Logan. That one interview that we did just made me feel close to him immediately. And I just had a lot of fun with him. So here is a clip from my interview with Logan Smith. And I was seven years old, and uh, I was actually 
at the hair salon, my mom, uh, her, her, her best friend, they grew up together. And I just, I, we were getting haircuts that day. I think my brothers were there, if I'm not mistaken. And I just randomly, I've always been bold enough to whatever's in my brain. I'll talk about it wherever. And that's gotten me in trouble a few times, but, uh, I've just, if, if it pops in my head, usually I say it. And I can remember asking them that day what it takes to be saved. And, and so Mimi was like, okay, if you want to do this right here in the hair salon, you know, we can do that. And we did that day. I remember praying the sinner's prayer and I knew then that I had a hope. And I had uh, eternal security. I knew that I wanted to spend the rest of my life serving this person that saved us from what could have been. And I'm glad that I don't have to worry about the could have been's because I went ahead and got my soul secured. And, and I'm grateful that I did at such a young age. It has helped me. And I know that uh, God has guided what I've done since then. I have no doubt. And I know he guided me before then. I was just too naive to realize it. And, uh, but I am very grateful that I made that commitment at seven years old and I, I wouldn't look back for nothing. Isn't it true? Uh, when you look at the scriptures and you read what Jesus said, he said, no man comes to me except for the father draws him. So we know that right. even before we come to the place of decision, God is intervening in our lives. And we, we know that Jesus said, Whosoever will may come, but somehow those two truths coexist in a wonderful tapestry. And so I I love that story. And I uh, came to know the Lord right before I turned five. um, That's amazing. In the living room with my mother. So um, very thankful for godly legacies. Amen. You better believe it. You better believe it. That's awesome. So you talked about this a little bit, but... Can you give a little bit more detail about the actual events that led to you starting to sing publicly? I know you were reluctant. Sure. Yeah. So uh, I mentioned, I know I touched on that, like you said, but I can remember uh, if anybody wanted to hear Logan Smith sing, you had to come in my bedroom and the door was going to be closed. And that was it. Once I left the bedroom, there was no singing for me. I, I just did it in my bedroom. It was, uh, I don't know, I guess my, my, my hobby, uh, that's all I did. My brothers were out riding their bikes and doing their thing. I'm inside being a Humpty Dumpty kid sitting in there singing old Gaither tunes. And, uh, but I wouldn't trade none of that for nothing. But I remember starting at a young age being intrigued by these singers and by a sound that large. And I knew from a very young age that that's what I wanted to do. Did I ever think I would get to stand on stage beside my heroes and and be a part of the tour? Absolutely not. But uh, that's what's fun when you put your faith and trust in God. He'll take you places you didn't dream you could go. And uh, so that was such a eye-opening. So I did the first concert at 7, and I did a few local events around home uh, over those next few years. And then when I was 10 years old, I did my first album and it was called the journey begins. So Logan was just a delight. And so I would encourage you to check out that podcast episode on my archives and also check out his music on Apple music or wherever it is that you listen to your music. I think you'll be blessed. Uh, I had a lot of fun with Logan and I shared a couple of his songs on the podcast so i think you'll want to check out episode 549 titled logan smith old soul for christ and thank you again logan for allowing me to interview you i hope that we get a chance to connect in person 
sometime. Well, this next clip comes from another person that I found on Facebook, and that is Tim Barnett. I found him through his video ministry, Red Pen Logic with Mr. B, and I reached out to his organization, Stand to Reason, and made a request to interview him, and in April, I was given that opportunity, and Tim and I had a great time talking about apologetics, which is learning how to defend the faith and to share the truth, reason, and logic behind the faith that we hold. And so I really enjoyed the opportunity to speak with him. I've really been blessed this year uh, because sometimes when I make interview requests, one of their people simply reaches out to me and says, this person does not have time for you, especially if you have a small audience. But God was really with me and was faithful and allowed me to have some of these opportunities. And I'm so glad that I got to share them with you, the listener. So here is a little bit from my conversation with Tim Barnett of Red Pen Logic. That leads me to my next question, which is, when did apologetics become such an important thing to you? And how did you decide to make it a major part of what you do? Because that's why I discovered you, because Mm. I found your Red Pen Logic with Mr. B videos and... That's why we're here today. So why don't you share that story? Sure. Um, so as I mentioned a moment ago, I started getting those questions from my friends. And, uh, and so what I did was I, you know, went home and I did what most people do. You Google, right? That's what you do. Now I, now a lot of people, YouTube, YouTube has become like the new Google kind of thing. Um, but I, at the time, okay, what are the answers to these questions? And, what I discovered was there's there's this whole field of apologetics. I never knew the word at the time. I didn't know any apologists, you know, uh, people like famous apologists that, you know, most Christians would be aware of, uh, never heard of them, you know, and so found answers like the question, Tim, how do you know that Jesus rose from the dead or Tim, how do you know that God exists? Or if God exists, why is there so much evil in the world? You know, these kinds of like these big questions that we should be able to give a response to, give an answer to. Well, the answers to those questions kind of come out of this thing we call apologetics. And for those who may not be aware, apologetics is not going around saying, I'm so sorry, I'm a Christian, please forgive me. I usually joke, we make other people sorry, we're Christians. No, we don't do that either. Um, what we do is we give a defense or make a case for the Christian faith. So you could think of, um, although the analogy is not perfect, you could think of a lawyer kind of making their case in front of a judge and jury. So that might be one kind of illustration. Um, although that illustration has liabilities because a lawyer defends no matter what, right? Even if their client's guilty, they defend. So it may be more appropriate to think of an apologist kind of like a journalist. A lot of people will know the name Lee Strobel. He's an apologist and he went from atheism to Christianity and how, how he ended up in Christianity was as a journalist, he started to investigate the claims of Christianity. In fact, the central claim we're coming up on Easter here as we're talking 
and uh and so he he was he was investigating the resurrection and um what he found was there was good evidence for it so um so that would be an apologist is someone who investigates does their research finds the evidence and then reports on it and uh and so that's what i did i would come back to school after doing some research and i would with my friends talk about these issues and man they had so many questions in particular about creation and evolution because a lot of them were um you know science people and so that was a big deal to them how does science and faith come together that kind of thing um and what here's what happened andrew i was i i, I came to the realization how could i be a christian i grow up in the church and and discover this stuff in my early twenties, why, why didn't anyone tell me this when I was six or 10 or 15? I've always had a passion for rightly dividing the word of truth ever since I became a Christian, but especially over the last four years or so that I've been doing the podcast from home, I have seen the need to emphasize and focus on apologetics. Um, I did a series on, 12 unique aspects of Christianity. And as I said, I just finished up the series on the myths of Jesus, the things that people believe on Jesus and what is really true about Jesus, because I see the need for people to get away from popular Christianity and to embrace true Christianity. There are so many people uh, that are in pulpits today that are giving their opinion and making the Bible fit it. And our responsibility as those who teach the Word of God and share the Word of God is to share with you the Word of God and say, how can we mold our lives to be more like the Word of God? The Bible says that we are made to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ as believers. And so that is really the goal of speaking for Him, is to speak into your life and to let you know how you can walk closer with the Lord and so I'm really thankful for Tim Barnett and his ministry. I'm thankful for Red Pen Logic. If you look up Red Pen Logic on YouTube or Facebook, you will find it and you will enjoy his short videos of how he refutes like the modern grasp of Christianity from a worldly perspective and says this is why it's wrong and this is what's true to the Word of God. So you'll want to check out episode 550 of the podcast again. This is a two-part episode, so it follows with 551, which is part two, but I think you'll really enjoy Tim's story, and it will really encourage you to rightly divide the word of truth. Now we come to the first episode and only episode on our list this year that isn't an interview. As I said, God really blessed me with a lot of interview episodes, but I wanted to share a clip from this one as well, and this was one of my reviews of The Chosen. This was from The Chosen Season 3, Episode 2, and it was from 2 by 2 and this was the situation where Jesus sends the disciples out 2 by 2 and little James comes to him and says, with all of the people that you've healed and with the power that you're giving me to heal, why have you not healed me? And the reason that Dallas wrote this 
into the series is because Jordan Walker Ross, who plays Little James, has cerebral palsy. He wrote this scene so that James could have a conversation with Jesus about why he might not be healed, even though Jesus had the power to do so. Now, of course, this wasn't in the Bible. We don't know anything about the physical challenges that the disciples may or may not have had. For all we know, they were all 100% healthy, strapping young men when they started out on their journey with him. But because of Jordan's disability, Dallas wanted to write it into the show. And when he did, I kid you not, I felt like he was writing about my own life and my own conversations with God. So here is a clip from this episode, which is 552, The Chosen Season 3, Episode 2. Do you want to be healed? Yes, of course, if, if that's possible. I think you've seen enough to know it's possible. I trust you. What? Little James. Precious little James. I need you to listen to me very carefully. Because what I'm going to say defines your whole life to this point and will define the rest of your life. Do you understand? Father's will, I could heal you right now. And you'd have a good story to tell, yes? Yes, that you do miracles. And that's a good story. But there are already dozens who can tell that story. And there will be hundreds more, even thousands. But think of the story that you have, especially in this journey to come, if I don't heal you. to know how to proclaim that you still praise God in spite of this. To know how to focus on all that matters so much more than the body. To show people that you can be patient with your suffering here on earth because you know you'll spend eternity with no suffering. Not everyone can understand that. How many people do you think the Father and I trust this with? Hmm? Not many. But the others, they're so much more. So much more what? I don't know. Stronger? Better at this? James, I love you. But I don't want to hear that ever again. I know how easy it is to say the Song of David. That I fearfully and wonderfully made but it doesn't make this any easier and in this group it doesn't make me feel like any less of a burden a burden? first of all it is far easier to deal with your slow walking than it is to deal with Simon's temper trust me are you fast? Do you look impressive when you walk? Maybe not. 
But these are things the father doesn't care about. You are going to do more for me than most people ever dream. So many people need healing in order to believe in me. Or they need healing because their hearts are so sick. That doesn't apply to you. And many are healed or not healed because the Father in Heaven has a plan for them which may be a mystery. And we remember what Job said. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. you pass from this earth and you meet your father in heaven where Isaiah promises you will leap like a deer your reward will be great so hold on a little longer and when you discover yourself finding true strength because of your weakness and when you do great things in my name in spite of this the impact will last for generations do you understand? thank you Master a man like you healing others oh what a sight I can't wait to hear your stories when you return scene chokes me up every single time I see it or hear it and it just reminds me of the faithfulness of God and how he doesn't always have physical healing on the docket for us but he has great plans that we know not of and that he can work through us no matter what our situation is as the Apostle Paul said um, he asked the Lord to remove his thorn three times, and God said, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. And Paul's conclusion at the end of that was, Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So that was a very powerful thing to me, and I, like I said, am moved every time I hear it. So I was really privileged to share The Chosen Season 3 this year. All of The Chosen episodes are on their own playlist on my player. So if you go to my website, speakingforhim.com or speakingforhim.sermon.net, you can pull down the search bar and choose the series, The Chosen Season 3, to see this episode, and I just really felt like uh, 
Dallas was capturing the essence of my testimony before God when he wrote this scene. And so it meant a lot to me. And so I wanted to share it again here. And I hope that you will take the opportunity to listen, as I said, to episode number 552, The Chosen Season 3, Episode 2, 2 by 2 This next episode is another one of those just extreme God things that happened this year, and I had the immense privilege of sharing the story of Cameron Robinson on my podcast. And this interview blew me away in multiple ways. Cameron is an extremely sweet, godly young lady who just wanted to share her testimony of how God delivered her from trans ideology and from seeking to live as a male, even though God made her as a woman. Through the process of this, during high school, about a year and a half period, she became redeemed by Jesus, and she rediscovered the blessing of her femininity. I posted the day before I posted this episode that I was posting it, and I got a lot of hate on the post, like I'd never experienced before. And I was like, okay, God, what are you doing here? And I had a split-second thought of maybe I shouldn't post this. But then I remembered that Jesus said, if the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. And I went for it. And I shared Cameron's story. It is by far the most listened to podcast I have ever posted. And I believe that it was like over a thousand in the first week or two. So it blew all of the numbers that I had previously experienced out of the water. And more importantly, that meant that that many people got to hear the story of God's grace in Cameron's life. And so it is an immense privilege of mine to be able to share with you this clip from The Redemption of Cameron Robinson. It was November 18th, 2021, okay? I had been identifying as part of the LGBTQ community for almost two years at this point, right? Um, On November 18th of 2021, I got suspended from school for vaping on a field trip. And, uh, cause, cause when, uh, transition, transition, it wasn't just physically, but it was who I hung out with, the things I did, things I found as, um, acceptable that I partook in. You know, the LGBT community is such a sexualized community. Um, I started doing things that I'm not proud of. Uh, and so my mindset and my morals changed. Drastically. So I vaped at a school field trip. I went to a tour, a tour college and I vaped on the bus. And so I got some things from school. And that happened to be the Friday right before Thanksgiving break. So not only did I have days off school, but I had a whole week. So I had a whole week plus my suspension. So I had almost, it was like a total of like 10 days that I would be out of school. 
I went, my mom worked at the school. So she was, came stomping down the hall. What is this? You know? <laughs> so, uh, I got grounded, obviously. Got in a lot of trouble, obviously. No phone, no TV, no computer, no friends, nothing, right? And so it was just me, my mom, my dad, because all my sisters were out of the house. And it was a time for me to just reflect on my lifestyle and the life that I had been living. And it was, I had a dream and I was in between, uh, two curtains. It was like on like a, like a stage, like on a stage, you have a big corduroy curtain and then you have like just a regular curtain. And I was in between them and I had people beating me up on both sides, but I couldn't see who it was. But the when I pull back the curtain and see, it was all of my friends, the people I called my friends. So I've translated that into these people who I thought loved me were tearing me down and bringing me to my lowest point without me even knowing. Um, so my mom drug me to church. I was very unhappy. But my sister, she said, hey, I started going to this new church. I think it would be really beneficial for Cameron. Bring her. Let's see what happens. So my friend goes to the church, and I was like, I'm going to sit with her. I'm not going to sit with um, my parents, so you know, my nurse. <laughs> um, and the preacher starts preaching, and, like, the first words he says are, there are only two genders. <laughs> my friend actually told me this last night. She said that I looked at her, and I went, triggered. <laughs> I don't even remember doing that. Um, so the preacher, my first time I go to this church, he preaches on transgender, and sexuality and the being two genders and by the end of it I was on the floor sobbing filled with conviction filled with guilt filled with the Holy Spirit and that was November 20th I believe that was November 20th so two days after my suspension and and that, that was it I was changed. I got baptized in April of uh, 2022. That is so exciting to hear. And that's really all it takes is for the Holy Spirit uh, to be working on a heart and for the heart to be ready. And it seems like even though you weren't willing to admit it at the time, God was already working on you because you actually started wearing makeup after doing this transition the male, so you knew that you were still struggling uh, with who God made you, and then he brings you to this breaking point of this suspension. Um, your parents force you to go to church, and God meets you there. That is so awesome and exciting to hear that story. So there you have a little clip from The Redemption of Cameron Robinson, the episode that I did with Cam about her story of redemption from the trans ideology and lifestyle. Fortunately, she did not do anything medical to transition, and so she was able to retain who God made her to be and not be mutilated or damaged physically from it. And I'm just so excited that these interviews give us the chance to marvel at the faithfulness of God. And this is episode 560 uh, in the Speaking for Him podcast. So if you want to go back and listen to that. And the updated number 
that I just checked on this episode is actually 1,863 listens. So that means that close to 1,900 individual listeners and perhaps more, because I'm guessing that sometimes more than one person listened, heard this story of redemption, and that to me is exciting and worth any agony that the preparation and the execution of this interview caused. God is so good, and I'm so thankful, Cam, that you had the opportunity to share your story with me and my listeners, and I'm so thankful to have someone like you in my life. Well, as we continue on, as I said, this was really the year of the interview. And right now I want to share with you a little bit about my friend Amelia Lopez. Amelia was someone that I met at the Potter's House while I was teaching there and working as a a parapro of sorts. And uh, she was someone that went to the Potter's House for many years of her education. Um, I believe she left after her sophomore year to go to another school. And she had not yet trusted Jesus. But uh, I, I really feel like her story is a good example of the passage, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase. Uh, because in 2021, she was gloriously saved, and now she is on a mission to share Christ with whoever she can. And she did a summer tour of evangelism, which we talk about in greater detail on this episode. But here's a little clip of Amelia Lopez's story. Uh, and this episode is called Amelia Lopez, Heart for the Gospel. From what I could gather from your Facebook posts, it was actually within just the last couple of years or so that you really got serious about your faith in Jesus. So can you tell me about that journey and what made you start taking Jesus seriously? Yeah. So, um, I didn't, um, find the Lord, um, until October of 2021. Um, and just leading up to that moment, um, I was just really in a place growing up, um, of just always wanting to seek attention and seek finding my identity and whether that be relationships or friendships. And that of course got more intense as I got to high school because feelings are more prevalent in life and things like that. Um, so just grew up pretty hungry for like wanting attention and wanting a love. Um, but I didn't know at the time, like the love that I was craving couldn't be given by any human. So, um, it just led me through like a lot of, um, bad relationships, bad friendships. Um, cause I just was never satisfied and was always trying to push for more out of a person when in reality, a person couldn't provide with me what I needed. Um, so I hit um pretty much like rock bottom my senior year of high school. My family was just struggling at that point. Um, and just insecurity began to attack me, stress and the weight of what was going on with my family. Um, that was just weighing heavy on me and I felt like everything was on me to fix. Um, so that just led me into like a depression and struggling with anxiety, trying to juggle all these things at once. Um, and I just remember 
um, waking up one morning just so overwhelmed by the weight of what was going on around me. And I just remember, well, I remember hearing about God. I remember going to church on Sundays. And so I'm like, I had a moment where I woke up and I'm like, God, like, if you're real, I'm asking if you could fix everything that's going wrong in my life right now. Um, and I just left it there, um, didn't take any further action. And, um, later on, um, a few months later, after I prayed that prayer, my brother, one of my older brothers actually sent me the gospel basically. And, um, I, I, I listened to a preacher share a sermon of the gospel. Um, and it pierced my heart in that moment, but I wouldn't say I was all the way sold out in that moment. I would just became aware of like, okay, this is something that could be real. This is something, um, that seems pretty serious. And so I have that embedded in my mind and I'm just continuing on in relationships and living in sin. Um, and I, my brother just kept being faithful, um, faithful in the Lord and just repeatedly like reminding me of the gospel, reminding me like of the reality of what's going on, um, spiritually in my life and just like, um, the truth. And so I just began going to Bible studies on Wednesday nights at a church. Um, and it was on the book of revelation, <laughs> which is crazy. Um, I just, yeah, we just dove into revelation. Um, and that was really moving my heart during that time. And I just remember one night in church, I'm like, wow, like this is starting to really like resonate with me. Like the way I'm living is not satisfying at all. And it's not leading me ultimately like to the father and to this eternal life that people are talking about. Um, and so one night I was trying to leave the Bible study as it ended and I just felt a tug in my heart and in my chest and something was telling me they're like, don't, it was like, don't walk out of here without giving your life to the Lord. Like, why are you pushing it off? Like, why not now? And so the Holy Spirit just tugged me, tugged at my heart and I turned around and just came to the passion. It was like, I want to give my life to Jesus. So from that moment, I surrendered my life to the Lord. And just since then, it's been a learning journey and um, just a process of sanctification going on. But since then, like the Lord has healed um, that longing that I've had in my heart of seeking attention and love. Um, yeah. And that void was completely filled by him um, after that night. So that's kind of how I came to know the father um, and come into relationship with Jesus. I really appreciate you sharing that. And I want to point out a couple of different things you said. First of all, you talked about the struggle for identity. I think that everybody struggles at one point or another with their identity. And it's my, one of my missions is to help people see that their identity is found in their creator. And, yeah. and that is, uh, found through a relationship with Jesus Christ, who we know is uh, a coexistent part of the Godhead. We read in the Bible that he's the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And we know that he was present, according to John chapter 1, at the creation of the world. And so if he's the creator of us, then he has a thing or two to say about the way that we live our lives. And so yeah. I think that, that it was so good that you realized that your identity was found in him and nowhere else. So it was just a real blessing to have one of my former Potter's house kids on the podcast, someone that I didn't connect a lot with while we were together at the school, but I've definitely enjoyed connecting with her 
afterwards, and her salvation story is just yet another reminder of the wondrous grace of Jesus, which never gets old and is constantly amazing. And it is so much a blessing to be ending 2023 talking about the great blessings which the Lord gives us. That leads me to my final clip of the show. It's been great looking back with you, and I hope that you have enjoyed this. And this might be a good episode to share with someone who has not yet listened because they'll get an idea for the flavor of the show, the things that I'm trying to accomplish on the podcast, and the types of people that I like to interview because perhaps they might have a story that they want to share as well of what God has done in their lives. So please share this with family and friends. And might I just ask, maybe you set a goal to share it with five different people so that they can know about speaking for him. So as we go to this final clip, I have to say that this is an interview that I had been waiting for for about five years or possibly more. Um, I remember several years ago reaching out to Karen Kingsbury and I got a letter um, via email. I believe it was from her sister um, and just asking me about my podcast and and why I wanted to interview Karen. And I answered those questions and she said, I'll see what I can do. Well, then another year passes and I contact them again and it was kind of the same response. I'm not ignoring you, but Karen's busy. And then last year, I actually got a letter from her publicist saying, do you want an advanced copy of her book? And I did. So I took that advanced copy, um, which was, I believe, a Baxter's prequel. And I read the ebook through this app called NetGalley, which I've been able to use to read other advanced books as well, uh, including this year's Karen Kingsbury title, but I'm getting a little ahead of myself. So um, I did that, and I said I would love to do an interview about it, and again, I was kind of put off till the future. Um, and then come around this year, and I got a letter from her publicist saying, would you like to schedule an interview with Karen Kingsbury. Uh, no idea why my name uh, was up there and had her attention. Maybe I was just on a list for waiting for that opportunity. I don't know. But for whatever reason, God gave them my name and the publicist reached out and she said, would you like to schedule an interview? And I said, um, yes, I absolutely would. Please let me know what works for you. They proposed a date and a time. And at this point, before they got back to me with the date and the time, I'm Googling to make sure that the name of the publicist is a real person who's really a publicist for Karen Kingsbury because I don't want to be let down again because there was a time last year when I thought that that interview was going to happen. But no, she was an actual publicist for uh, Karen's publisher and so I knew that the date was legit. So we do the interview, and a quick inside th fact about that is 
the day of the interview, I'm going on my email to get the interview questions and get ready to interview her, and I can't get in my email. It turned out there was something that my web guy, Jay Harnish, had to do to reactivate my email. But fortunately, I was able to get a hold of him and get that to work. But I was like all kinds of nervous that this was going to derail the most important interview of my career. But it didn't. And the interview went off without a hitch. And then after the interview, Karen asked about my testimony and she prayed for my ministry. And so I was extremely blessed uh, that I had the opportunity to sit down with her and talk about her writing and talk about her life. She loves Jesus. She wants other people to love Jesus. And she uses her fiction to convey that. And I was so blessed by her. She's the genuine article. And so here's a clip of my interview with Karen Kingsbury, New York Times bestselling author. Her biggest uh, character group is the Baxter family. And that started as a five book series with Gary Smalley, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. So how did that come about? Yeah, so with my first six novels, um, I mean, they just weren't picking up traction. It was funny because, you know, it's a kind of a process. So I'd go into a bookstore and not tell them out that I was Karen Kingsbury. And then I would say, do you have that new book by Karen Kingsbury, Waiting for Morning or whatever, the, one of the first six? And they would say, yes, we do, but we are out of stock. We just can't, came to, can't seem to keep those on shelves. And, of course, you know, you could. You just have to order more. But I it was kind of stuck, like, in a rut where they would – published 15,000 copies and they would run out and then I would have another book, 15,000 copies. Well, Gary Smalley, uh, who has passed on to heaven several years back now, but was a, he was a speaker and a writer about relationships and godly relationships. And he was one of my like 15,000 readers who knew. So he contacted me through like his people to my agent, whatnot, and said, I want to meet with her. So my husband and myself and our kids, we went to Branson, Missouri, where Gary lived. We met with him and his wife, Norma, went out on their boat with them. And he said, okay, here's my proposition. He said, I want you, I think you are the best novelist I've ever read. And I want you to write a series about a family and incorporate some of the teachings that I've been teaching about relational, you know, love in, in God's kingdom, like love is a decision and these kinds of things. And so literally... He, and then he prayed that my books would do so well and that I would do so well as a novelist that one day people might not know him, but they would know me. It was, and it was like unheard of thought. It was like, what? You know, he was very gracious and very humble, kind man. Well, on the flight home, God gave me the Baxter family. Like I'm just on a single flight and I'm writing as fast as I can in a notebook, like the Baxters. Okay. John and Elizabeth, he's a doctor. Like they live, I could just see it, all of it, their kids, the storylines that might come. I could see five books. And, um, you know, when I, when I got back home, of course I called Gary and I let him know. And Gary was in the middle of a contract deal where he was doing a big, big contract with a Christian publisher and he wanted to include these novels. Now he said, I'm not going to write anything, but I just want you to know, like, I want to do what I can to help them be seen by the people. And so he got Tyndale to agree to include this, this series of books. I think they thought he was crazy to want to include novels in his big umbrella contract. But it ended up being that the novels are really, well, it ended up being the sweet spot for his, for that part of his career. Um, so yeah, so he didn't do any of the writing, but he was the one who encouraged me. 
kind of, there was like a forgiveness is a choice, those kinds of things, like just basically beautiful teachings that were simple and became kind of the theme for that, that particular story. And after five books, Gary called me and he said, this isn't me. He goes, my name can't be on this book. He goes, you, you have wings now. He goes, you go fly and take these characters wherever God has for you, you know, to take them. And so then there became, I mean, you know, I can still see them. I mean, I can still see what the Baxters are doing today. Uh, 25 books later. I gotta say, as you continued to write them, I was extremely happy, but also kind of shocked in a good way about all the different directions you could write the Baxter family. And, you know, sometimes you write a series and you, you move on from them, but it mm-hmm. really seems like the Baxters give you a platform to share your heart. I know there's elements of the Baxters and their friends from your own family. Um, like mm-hmm. the Flanagan family is very much the Kings or the Russell family. So, yeah. um, I know that a lot of times when you're writing for them, you're basically just writing for yourself, but we all get to enjoy the results, which is really amazing. So again, it was just an extreme privilege to have Karen Kingsbury on episode 580, life-changing fiction with Karen Kingsbury. And so I hope that you'll check out that episode if you have not already. She talks about how God used her husband to lead her to Christ and how Christ has become so important in her life and work through novels and now movies. And so if you want to hear more about that, you can check out this episode. There were so many other great episodes that I could not include on this list or we would be here forever. Um, but I want to thank you for taking the time to listen and I hope that you've been blessed by what you've heard And I look forward to what God is going to do in 2024. Uh, And I'm just so excited to have this outlet to share Christ uh, with as many people as possible. So please spread the word about the Speaking for Him podcast. With that said, I will simply wish you a happy new year and encourage you to end this year strong, finish well, and keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.